0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stand Up To Sitting Podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am extra amped up for today's interview with the one and only Suzanne Jewell. Before we get into today's show, I want to shout out, our sponsor i am so grateful to partner with kai's energy bars kai's are these all natural only four to six ingredients in each bar and they're amazing whether it's Post workout, or you just need a midday pick me up. These bars have kept me going the last few months. And the reason that I love this company so much is because I connected with their founder, Jeff. And Jeff is so committed to making an impact in the community that every box of bars they sell, he donates some to kids in Haiti. He's literally making a generational change for the youth. Overseas. And that is really why I felt this duty and alignment to partner with Kai. So I'm so grateful for them. And they have been generous enough to give this community 15% off their. Orders. So go to kaisconcepts.com and then put coach Jeremy 305 at checkout so you can get some of these guys. I'm not joking. I don't take or put anything in my body that has any artificial flavors, ingredients. So get on these now. Save 15% off coach Jeremy 305 at checkout. Peace. Suzanne is a mindfulness teacher, startup strategist, community cultivator who's passionate about empowering females to find their voice. She is a brave, bold babe who has worked with the likes of Diane von Frittenberg, Bill and Melinda Gates, and Playboy TV International. I think I butchered that name, Diane von Furstenberg. And I'm told that all the women listening will know who that is. I personally do not. But uh, I'm told she's a big deal. And Suzanne, welcome to the show. Jeremy,
1: it is just such an honor to be here today. I am so excited that we're doing this day. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday. And if you're listening and it's not Friday, happy happy day. Happy day. Every day is a gift.
1: I'll tell you, wake up above ground because it beats the alternative. Mm. And when we're grateful for that, it really makes a difference.
0: You You sent that to me in the text. Mm-hmm. We were texting back and forth either last night or this morning, and I was like, damn, like that's really powerful. If we can just have that perspective yep. more often, Yeah. right? Yeah. So just a girl from Detroit, Michigan.
1: Just the other side of the state, Grand Rapids, but you're close. Grand Rapids.
0: <laughs> and this, this journey has taken you to so many different places, so many countries, so many different dimensions. And I just want to get a little bit, 90 seconds, two minutes, tell us a little bit about how you got here today on this set.
1: Okay. Um, just down the street, I literally met you barely 10 days ago.
0: Yes. and I had an ago.
1: opportunity to talk at Thrive Together Tuesdays, which was a Miami-made, it's a startup founders community put together by Barry Stamos and by Brandon and run by Jeannie and Steph and the whole crew put it together. They gave me a chance to talk up uh, stand up and talk about my story. And you and I met that day. And I guided both a mindful meditation around what's called the inner smile, how we can actually cultivate friendliness inside of our own being, inside of our own body. Um, And then I talked about my journey. And I have been around 55 springtimes. And in that time frame, I have kind of had several iterations of my life from a corporate global television executive then leaving that world to actually starting my own strategy, branding, communications, and marketing business, and then having some real health challenges, having the universe smack me upside the head with a two-by-four um, to put my tush on a cush, And that was because I was experiencing adrenal burnout and panic attacks, and that made me have to literally learn how to sit still. And when I learned how to sit still, I realized there was a whole lot of stuff that I was running from. Mm. And as I learned how to sit and stay... I realized I was also numbing myself from a lot of what I was running from. And so as I've walked through that journey of learning how to sit and stay and not run and numb, I've found this path of um, being and guiding people in a mindful way, learning how to live a life that's not all on or all off, that was my tendency, Hmm. kind of very all on or crash. Right. And I'm instead in that, what I call the Goldilocks journey, trying to figure out how to have my porridge not be too hot or too cold, but just right. And so here I am talking to you. I have my own podcast called, or radio show called Mindful Mornings Miami. Um, I'm a corporate mindfulness trainer. So in that capacity, I work with people like Miami-Dade College, uh, Pelican Harbor, Women in Wireless Leadership Forum, um, Philanthropy Miami. Um, And then I am just kind of starting to step out into the public arena of offering some of the training that I do around mindfulness. Every month I gather in the monthly mindfulness meetup over at the sacred space. It's called sit with the jewel. And you can join me for that on the second Tuesday of the month. Um, and then I also have a women's group because as you mentioned at the top of the show, I really believe that the Dalai Lama spoke truth when he said it is the Western woman who will save the world. Mm -hmm. And because I've had a few springs under me on the planet, I realized that women are in need of finding the power of their their voices. And I realized it's my superpower. So why not use what I've got to help gift bringing that out in other people?
0: Right. Has that, has that always been a superpower? Or is that something that you've discovered in the last few years, this ability to really communicate effectively and inspire people and lead by example? Is that something that you feel like has always been inside of you?
1: I was always told that I talked too much. <laughs> so finding a way now to like go, oh, wait a minute, but now I've got something really more masterful to say Mm. Um, and I do think that the journey I've been through Jeremy was for me what I would call my own masterclass of literally acquiring that acumen that you just asked was that because you you know always had this it happens to be I'm particularly adept at getting people to guide them through landing in their body I'm particularly skilled at helping people feel their feelings help them experience their experience. I kind of give them permission. Um, My mom was my greatest cheerleader and I turned out to be a really good cheerleader for others too. As much as I love doing what I'm doing as a teacher in the front of the room or as a broadcaster, um, I equally love literally lifting somebody up or standing in the corner of the curtain and helping push them out on stage and going, go, go, go. Because there's something magical that happens when you see another being light up yes. and you watch them stand in their height and their strength. And man, if I have been able to support them in any way with that, I find that to be a real gift. If that was given to me as a gift that I can help others with it, I absolutely love.
0: Mm. Yeah. That service to others is yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And, I, and there's this one of my mentors always says there's there's two ways to have the tallest building in town, right? It's by building it up yourself or right. tearing the other ones down.
1: Oh, interesting. What a fabulous analogy.
0: Yeah, so, and I think I think it's easy to kind of see what other people are doing and maybe be filled with jealousy, envy, yeah. or constantly comparing ourselves to those people and falling short in those comparisons. And it seems like you've use that also like to lift yourself up is like getting inspiration yep. from these people that you're helping. Yep. So that's a really beautiful place to be. And that's a place where I feel like I'm transitioning to with my clients. It's like, I get so much joy from seeing them send me a message like, Hey, check out what I did today for the first time. Or, yeah. or like, look, I lost five pounds or look, I just feel better. I have more energy. Yeah. And you mentioned that, Recently, you went through your own medical setback. Yeah. And I want to know maybe the biggest takeaway, the biggest lesson that that's taught you in the last couple of years.
1: So I would say probably the biggest takeaway is to pay attention. Mm. Because our bodies give us signals that something's happening. And we in the Western world... Um, have come to wear the badge of busy. I'm so busy that I can't, blah, 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 fill in the blank, have lunch with you. I'm so busy that I can't, after I've had sex with you, stay in bed and hug. I'm so busy that I can't, just fill in the blank. And we've lost touch with the life that's actually happening here. So the ability to pay attention includes what am I experiencing So that would be internal awareness. And the other would be situational awareness. What's going on around me? Because one of the fascinating things is we also don't have an awareness of what's going on in our environment, either because we're so self-absorbed and we're actually not tuned in, or we're actually, again, going back to the issue of numbing things. So learning how to pay attention and be with what? What's here? What's actually here? What's happening? You know, we spend a lot of times wanting things to be other than what they are. So paying attention, that's probably my biggest takeaway. Pay attention, man. If you want to go somewhere, if you want to be somebody, you got to wake up and pay attention.
0: Yes, I remember you saying that at Miami Made last week. Um, wow, yeah. And, I, and I, I try and instill the same, same thing as like having these conversations with ourselves, building awareness with our body. Yeah and and not judging ourselves in that process like understanding, hey, yeah, maybe my my back feels sore or tight or my hips can't move the way I'd like them to okay yeah that's we're bringing awareness to the situation and now we're able to take action because okay like now I know I need to maybe move my body more I need to hydrate mm-hmm. I need to maybe rest more mm-hmm. right so, Building, building that awareness is so key. And do you feel like that's something you mentioned before that you were running away from? Oh, yeah. And and you were kind of just keeping yourself so busy and with amazing things, right? I, I want to dive into some of these incredible projects that you've been a part of and helped facilitate particularly Playboy TV International. I think, I think all the guys out there would love to hear yeah. a little bit more about that.
1: Like from Playboy TV to mindfulness, how did that happen, yes, right? Yes, I yeah. love it though. I love yeah. like
0: the one extreme to the other. Yeah. Talk about that for a minute.
1: So um, I grew up in the Midwest, which would automatically qualify me for uh, being one of Hef's choices because uh, he loves blonde girls from the Midwest, or he did when he was alive. Um, This is Hugh Hefner. This is Hugh Hefner. I did the whole Miss thing. I actually competed, the whole Miss Grand Rapids thing, the Miss Michigan thing. I actually Mm -hmm. did that. I sang for my supper. Um, And yes, I am revealing some things I don't usually talk about on my own show, but that'll make for great, good, juicy stuff here. Juicy. Let's go. And that being said, I also happen to be really skilled and gifted In the television space, which is where I really started out before I I did just land the worldwide job at Playboy TV International, I first came from when TV and technology were merging to do that thing called pay-per-view when you used to have to pick up the phone and dial an 800 number to get the boxing match. Right. And I became particularly adept at looking at things and going, how do I communicate that that's a piece of technology and it's an 800 number to somebody who wants to throw a party at their house, go get a bunch of Subway and some beer and watch the Holyfield Tyson fight. So that's what it was. But what I saw in the way my brain would work is that I looked at it and I went, wait a minute. A-N-I is the acronym for Automatic Number Identification. Let me turn A-N-I into a character named Annie and let me create a little animated thing. And I'll have Annie teach people in a television commercial, if you want to hang out and watch the fight with me, you've got to make sure you dial my number. And so all of a sudden the technology became a character, Mm -hmm. And the character became someone that you interacted with in your mind. This was obviously way before we had the phones and things that we have now. And that offered people a more human connection to technology. It turned out I won a Cable Television Association Marketing Award for that and was invited to speak at places about the nature of how I saw the business. Mm -hmm. Then I also started doing work in the lobby of the cable system because people were used to going to Blockbuster in those days, and you were used to getting a, film, a, a movie in an actual plastic thing, and you'd go get the, at the counter the actual videotape. In the cable system lobby, I went and put little coupons, and if you were standing there to pay your bill, it would say, bring me up to the front desk and I'll give you a free movie. So people started to be able to associate touching a box, even though it was empty, with pay-per-view. So I helped bring all of that bridging of they didn't understand technology yet. They didn't understand they couldn't touch it, but they could still receive it. And as I went through that journey, the people who were creating down here in Miami, DirecTV, America Online, and one of the platforms within the content was going to be Playboy TV. We also did Comedy Central, Cosmopolitan, Lifetime, a whole bunch of other products. And once I ended up in that space, they said, you've got this really interesting capacity to capture marketing and messaging, we'd like you to oversee the launch. And that's what I did.
0: Mm. And this is, it's, it's so crazy, like your ability to storytell essentially. And we spoke about this before we started airing about your nonstop curiosity, Yeah, right? That, that curiosity, almost like a childlike curiosity yeah. because I've been so fascinated lately, the park that I work out at by my place, and I just like observe the kids sometimes, and like they just are fearless. Yeah. They'll try, they'll try like doing a flip or a somersault, and like they can just, they just try these things, and like they, they have the shortest term memory. They, there's like, oh, I failed. I don't, I don't care. Like I'm just gonna try it again, and like they just smile, get right back up. It seems like you almost have that same childlike curiosity when it comes to attacking marketing mm-hmm. and and business, right? Where did that stem from? And how do you continue to channel that today?
1: I have to credit my sister. I have a big sister um, who was a retail entrepreneur. My sister back in Grand Rapids had a bridal store Mm. and I used to work there on Saturdays. It was my first job ever. I used to press bridal dresses and she looked at the people coming into the store and she realized they were leaving her store to go someplace to get a tuxedo. And then in the midst of that happening, she also realized that these brides were coming in and they wanted to have like the most beautiful bra and a gorgeous uh, garter belt. And they wanted to have all of the stuff that would make them look gorgeous and sexy and all of the intimate wear. So in the corner of the store, she set up a little tiny place where you could go get the lingerie for the bride and then she tried the little tuxedo thing and before you knew it she ended up creating a space that she blew through this door and wall and this wall over here and she opened up bride's world and then lingerie world and tuxedo world and I watched her then expand into three different cities So she went from Grand Rapids to Muskegon to East Lansing by the Michigan State Campus. So I saw the way my sister's mind worked. When she did Lingerie World, it was before Victoria's Secret ever existed as a store. Um, We did fashion shows, we did men's nights, and we literally would open the store up, take out all of the racks of clothes, put in a little mini runway, charge 25 bucks, and if you wanted to come buy something for your sweetie for Valentine's Day, And I was in theater and dance, and I also did a lot of on-air, like Amway was in Grand Rapids, so I did the little vitamin, if you want to look like me, take these vitamins kind of thing. Yes. Um, And she said, hey, I want you to produce some of my, my events for me. So I literally got into event production within what she was doing, and the first real entrepreneurial stint I had, she said, look, we've got to produce three shows in three cities, and it was going to be the bridal show. They, they have these big January conventions where if you're a bride, a mother of the groom, mother of the bride, whatever, maid of honor, you go and look at what's hot and what's new. And they're huge. 2,000, 3,000 people go. 90-foot runways. Yeah. I was 15. She handed me $5,000. She said, all of these things will be your expenses. The lights, the stage, the sound guy, the rehearsal space, the models, the talent. This line right here below it will be your profit. And at 15 years old, she gave me five grand. I had $3,500 in expenses. I made $1,500 on my first show. That's how I got started. Mm. And although I ended up going into television and um, marketing and the television technology and then, you know, the launching of various projects across, like, international boundaries, I always had, like, when we would go launch, for example, in... France, people were like, okay, wait a minute. Playboy in France, boy, women go topless on the beach. They're so body conscious. They have no problem with nudity. You know, Zut this is France. You know, we're not going to have a problem. Yeah. And, you know, we already know what is the Playboy. And they also had this expectation. We were only going to send blonde, typical looking playmates. Right. So I did two things. One, you'll absolutely love particularly. I wanted to break the stereotype. Thought you knew Playboy? Think again. Playboy happened to have at that time an extreme team. They were all Baybats, who happened to also be buyer triathletes. And some of them were able able to do marathons, some of them were able to do triathlons. one of them had been on Survivor. So clearly they looked great with their clothes off and on, and they were badasses. So I set up a, exhibition match of the volleyball team that had won in europe which was monaco that year and the women on the beach in france on what's called the Croisette, in front of the majestique in the south of france in Cannes, and we had them come out like a sports team here it comes and out came all these badass gals in really cool looking volleyball wear they did this exhibition match they ended up really beating the guys from monte carlo even though it wasn't or Monaco, it wasn't meant to be that way, like we didn't plan it, it just happened. Yeah. Who knows if they couldn't focus. And then that night, we had them come out in absolutely stunning gowns. So there was this contrast yeah. of being bold and brave, and also being very beautiful, and being women. So I guess that's always been there for me. And I, I, I've been gifted with something else as we're having this conversation, I realize, I see things differently. Mm. I realize that when I see either the psychology of something or the way things might fit together, I realize I'm sometimes the first one who sees it. Yeah. And then other people don't see it until I'm like, "Well, it's right there. Like I can see it. And when we brought this group of playmates then into Paris, I had done a very interesting project with a young group of French designers that had not come out onto the fashion, what's called the print show, the spring collection. And we dressed a bunch of these playmates, and we got E! Entertainment's version in France called Exclusif to follow them around in all of this clothing that no one in France had seen on the runways yet. Mm. And so the women were like, oh, c'est tout and And caveat, I only brought one American, all the rest were Israeli, Greek, Mm. peruvian swedish they were not what they expected except for one i made sure that there was one um so i think it's curious because i've probably always played with people's preconceived notions love it and broken them
0: love that and that's
1: probably why it makes sense that i would end up now being a mindfulness teacher putting my tush on a cush.
0: yeah and that's why you're here today and that's why i'm here today we're breaking preconceived notions. we're changing the norm we're challenging societal expectations yeah right now and you mentioned mindfulness coach yep and this is a very hot trendy topic right now i'm personally involved in like workplace wellness so trying to work with companies and adding wellness to the workplace yeah. and a big thing that a lot of these corporations especially these big ones in silicon valley and fortune 500 companies are implementing or meditation practices yeah. and, and mindfulness strategies. And I just wanna know um, and, and also provide some guidance for the listeners out there, what exactly, how do you define the difference between mindfulness and meditation?
1: So the first place I would start is put both your hands together. Okay. Mindfulness is a form of meditation. Got it. So they're not actually separate. Mm. And I'm gonna invite everybody right now while Jeremy and I are standing here to just close your eyes. And try to become aware of your breath. And drop out of your head and try to be present to your heart, listening to the beat. And if you can't hear your heartbeat, try to see if you can notice where you are breathing in through the nose, down your throat. Is your breath tight up in the top of your chest? Or are you breathing deeply and comfortably down in your belly? Jeremy and I are gonna both drop our hands to our sides. And when we do that, see if we can feel the aliveness in our hands, the subtle sensation of the thrumming of life. And opening our eyes, just that little moment was a moment to pay attention on purpose in the moment and be here now. So mindfulness is a form of attention training that the Buddhists really mastered almost 2700 years ago. So it's a part of Buddhism as a practice. Mindfulness that's mostly brought into the workspace now is a very secular engagement, kind of like we just did, it had nothing to do with spirituality, nothing to do with trying to find the void or anything, you were just trying to be in the body. What's really interesting is that neuroscience and the practices of meditation, but specifically mindfulness, because it's about attention training, have come to find out that, first of all, 47% of the time that we are awake, our mind is not where our body is at. Mm-hmm. So you're here right now, and it's about 1.30 or 2 o'clock, and you are literally, potentially, thinking about what comes after this which would be future casting, which creates anxiety when you focus on the future, or you might be ruminating about something that you left undone at home or an argument you had with your girlfriend, and that's you being in the past, and that brings depression. So when we live in one day of 24 hours, that's 1,440 minutes.
0: 86,400 seconds.
1: I love it. Let's just say you sleep... Let's just say you sleep 10 hours a day. You probably don't, but let's say you do for the sake of the numbers, all right? That's 600 minutes. Knock 600 minutes off of 1,440. You've already got barely 800 minutes left, okay? Out of that, you're working about eight hours a day. That's another 480 minutes. Now you start to look at these increments and you take that 47%, round it off to 50%. Half of that time, you're not paying attention to where you are. Mm. What does that mean? Besides getting in an accident, it might mean you might miss your daughter's first step. It might mean you miss something that comes across your screen and someone who is a colleague in your environment catches it first. What does it mean on the internal awareness level? If you believe what some people like, for example, Elizabeth Gilbert, who I've interviewed in her big magic book, Uh, or Eat, Pray, Love, she's written both of those, talks about is that there are lots of ideas that circulate around the surface of the earth, and if you are particularly open and willing and receptive and in the moment, the idea that's trying to find its way through will land in you, but if there's no space there, it'll move on and find someone else through which to express. Mm -hmm. So you might even miss your actual creativity because you're not there. So What mindfulness does in the workspace is it helps very specifically with something that's now called presenteeism.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you're mentioning this right now.
1: And everybody who's not heard of it before, absenteeism means you didn't go to work. Presenteeism means you're here, but you're not checked in. Your body's here, but you're not there. You could have a sinus infection and be unwell. You might have had your cat pass away your mind might just be wondering. You could be lost in the place where you're down the Google rabbit hole and you don't know how long you started and how long you've been there and it's already two hours have gone by and you're sitting at your desk. That is a part of what attention training allows you to do. Like a good muscle exercise, our attention and our capacity to focus has the ability to come back to center. And when you learn to practice it, you first usually start with an anchor like the breath, you can even learn how to pay attention to sound. People think that it has to be entirely silent to meditate. No, it doesn't. Become aware of the sounds. What are the ones that are closest to you? What's the quality of that sound? Is it a bright sound or a dull sound? Is it a throbbing sound or is it a thrumming sound? You start to realize there's all this nuance of experience when you pay attention. Mm. How far away is the sound of the, of the, of the helicopter going by? How distant from that might be the plane going overhead? And you start to realize that, oh, wow, there's all this going on and I'm not paying attention. Mm. And that can even help you be where you are. You could even literally right now figure out what do my feet feel like on the floor right now? If I have bare feet, is it soft or is it hard? Are my feet numb? I have a neurological issue that I have a lot of numbness in feet and, and some other parts and so I become really attuned to is it a lot of numbness or a little bit of numbness? And it's like, okay, I, you know, and let me be with that. So, mindfulness, as I understand it, is how to pay attention on purpose in the moment, non judgmentally, and with curiosity. And so, the capacity to do any one of those at any given time can make it your superpower. Mm. Learning to actually cultivate a life. That's mindful. It's a curious thing because people will often, oh, I'm mindful, I'm mindful, but they'll drink. and that's actually dulling the state and the quality of your mind. And yet half your life you're not where you are anyway. So why would you want to check out for part of it? Yeah. You know, when you look at 90 years, let's say you get, if you're lucky, right, 47% of that isn't even 45 years. It's about 44. If you're 30 now or 35, you're looking at like, wow. Either I pay attention for the rest of this journey or I've already blown my capacity to be alive to my own life for half of it. Mm. For half of it. So that's when you really realize it's a short time between that date that's got your birth on it and that little dash in between. And the date that says it's done. Mm. And what are you doing with the dash? What's the dash about? You know, where and what are you paying attention to? Mm. And that's one of the reasons for me why woke up above ground beats the alternative is so vital because this crazy neurological thing I have means I live with a two millimeter unruptured aneurysm in the back of my brain every day. And I go through various waves of, gosh, am I going to die of this? I might. And I might get hit by a bus instead. I might not. But man, is it become my teacher. Wake up, Suze. What are you paying attention to? Where is your attention right now? Is this thing that you're letting yourself get entangled in worth your time? And God, your attention, Mm. is it? And, And it's become this beautiful filter through which I let things or people go because sometimes it's like, nope, not, this doesn't merit my time or my attention. Yeah. And and it's a curious thing when you've got that as sort of a, an everyday little, it's it's like the rubber baby buggy bumpers they put up at the bowling alley so that when your baby goes to bowl.
0: I still use those. Okay.
1: And you don't end up, you know, yeah. uh, uh, having a, um, having it go into the gutter it's like this rubber baby bunky, buggy bumper for me of stay on target, girl. What are you here for? Mm. And that's part of the journey of I lived that life with Playboy and now live a very, very, very different life and did a lot of stuff in between, including work, work in Africa with the Gates Foundation and a lot of um, social impact work with um, with Venezuela and and several other initiatives. Um, I moved a lot out of what the world told me was important to acquire and to aspire to Mm. to what my heart actually said mattered. I mean, today I'm wearing right now a piece of jewelry from the Falasha Jewish tribe in Ethiopia. They're considered to be one of the lost tribes of, of Israel that live in Ethiopia, according to myth and story. And I'm wearing a bracelet from a friend and his wife, who married two years ago, that he's a Zulu shaman's son. And this bracelet is about what it means to share Ubuntu, the mm-hmm. idea from Africa I talked about of, I'm a person because of other people. And I can't I can't make it alone. I'm not a self-made woman or self-made millionaire. I'm here because people have always held me up. Yeah, And it's an illusion that we are making it alone, because we never make it alone. Yeah. Even if you've made a million, those million dollars belong to somebody. They helped you get the get there. Mm. You may have collated it. Yeah. But it's because it passed through someone else's hands. Yeah. So I'm I'm walking proof and living proof now of what it means to be present to the life that I've got.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was like that was I c- I can't imagine a better response to that question. Yeah
1: preaching i'm sorry but preaching no
0: no this this show is for you and we want to extract as much knowledge as we can from all the wisdom that you have and just a couple things that come to mind this happened in the last couple days like i was working out at this same park and i just saw all these kids doing their thing and all of their parents weren't engaged with the kids And like, they're all on their phones and they're missing some of the most special moments of their kid's life. Yeah, And we often talk about like work-life balance, you know, how can, how can we be successful at what we're doing? How can we be productive and still, still nourish those relationships, those meaningful moments in our life. And I almost think, you know, being, having this work-life balance isn't necessarily like the goal. I think it's really like you were saying, really getting value from these small moments. So when we're we're with our family, when we're with our loved ones, like really be there. Be there. And it's like your kid was at school all day, you were at work all day, and you're coming back, and like, yeah, you're together technically, but it goes back to that presenteeism. Like you're together, but you're not really there. You're not engaged. You're not fully experiencing the beautiful moment that's in front of you. You know, and I think... I'm so glad you touched on that because when I'm talking to um, offices or leadership or HR, I'm always trying to tell them that and it's it's kind of hard to quantify, right? It's hard to quantify. Absenteeism, I think, costs businesses. Maybe you have an idea. $500 th-
1: billion dollars annually.
0: $500 billion, yeah. The number <laughs> I remember was $300 billion and that okay. was from 2017, so okay. it makes sense that yeah. it went up. And presenteeism, I just, I just know it's so big Because I talk to my friends and like my friends, like, like, shouldn't you be working right now? Like they're at their office and they're on the phone the whole time or they're, they're constantly getting distracted and they're not fulfilled by their work. Of
1: course. And, and I'd share one other really interesting little tidbit around that wandering mind thing that 47% of the time you're awake, your mind is not where you and your, your, you and your body are not in the same place. A wandering mind is not a happy mind. Mm. so now you start to lean into things around flow and flourish when you are wandering in your minds in that scattered space and how often do you hear people talk about that too (sighs) i just can't think or what and or or you're on the phone with someone i'm on the phone with a client and i can literally tell between her baby and the food she's eating she's not listening to what i'm doing Mm. or speaking to her about Mm. um and and how does that feel on the receiving end? It feels kind of cheap. It feels kind of not quality. And in addition to that, what's really curious is that I do believe we've come to a time in human evolution where we've never been here before with this telephone thing and all of the incoming. Our brain has got this immense capacity to create neuroplasticity and neurogenesis that we're finding out now that even a stroked brain can find a new way to morph its way through. And fascinatingly enough, we actually have drank the Kool-Aid that we think technology is making our lives better when the longest studies for having a healthy, happy, long life are our strong social bonds. Yes, goes back to the Ubuntu thing, that it doesn't matter if it's your partner, it doesn't matter if it's your neighbor, it doesn't matter if it's your church, your community, your gym. The fact you connect with other human beings is what makes the difference for whether you'll have a long, healthy, happy life or not. It won't be whether or not you have the newest iPhone. Mm. And it's a curious thing too because we are unaware of how damn addicted we all are. Yeah. We are addicted whether or not it's because you do end up spending time with you know, the substances from opioids to other kinds of, of um, things that appear to be the addictions that we've normalized the word shopping therapy, for example. Mm-hmm. When somebody's heart is broken, I've got a girlfriend who literally says she's waiting to break up with her boyfriend because she'll go change her hair and buy new clothes. Hmm. And that's become embedded that that's an acceptable behavior on 9-11. Our president gave us as a directive to go shopping. Mm. That was what it was we offered to people, mm. rather than comfort and solace, or conversations around forgiveness, or wow, how could we not have been aware enough yeah. that this was happening right in our midst? Mm. You know, how did we not know this? Yeah. Um, so I think we're at a time in human evolution that our capacity to pay attention or not is going to make the difference between how many people get stuck in the rabbit hole of technology and others who actually have the ability to do what you and I are doing right now, which is looking each other in the eye and being entirely present. Yes. And I'm also a heart math coach, which we didn't talk about, but heart math is a technology that's 26 years in its making and it's evidence-based research that shows that your heart has an electromagnetic field that extends three feet out from you
0: it's about our distance. It's about right our now.
1: distance. When you hug someone, if you hug them heart to heart and you hold that hug for three breaths, you actually will calm down your nervous system. That oxytocin that you'll get is the same kind of thing you get if you hug your lover, if a mother hugs her baby, or you go and cuddle with your dog or your cat or mm. prepare it, whatever creature you might have. Our entire naturalness knows what it needs. I'm not going to su- suggest that we walk away from technology because it's going to help us and it's doing amazing things creating big view of how we can connect the dots. You know, Jane Goodall right now has an amazing project that she's got all of the rangers in the place where she works with a lot of the orangutans and chimpanzees and other primates that if trees or any of the creatures get harmed, they can send it on a Google tablet up to the cloud and they can actually know where there's either poaching or deforestation happening. That's amazing. Like, that's cool. But what happens when you just discussed what you did, which is not only are the parents not paying attention to their kids, what's happening to the brains of children? Yes. What's happening to our job? We have no idea. Mm. Are we actually deterring their growth and you know you look at something as simple as the ceo of linkedin jeff Weiner, who says that the number one skill that's missing in the workplace is not coding it's not algorithms and development calculus and statistics it's soft skills about communication mm. we're losing losing our ability to write and to speak yeah we don't know how to communicate but we know how to code what's up with that yeah it bothers me and so that's why i'm where i'm doing what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, and I I love that. And I just want to I just want to offer the listeners right now if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, wherever it is that you are, because Suzanne is dropping so many downloads and knowledge bombs. <laughs> so let's start to try and bring some of these things to action. So that's your call to action for today is you're going to hug someone heart to heart and take 3 breaths. Yeah in that position and just see how it feels experience that feeling and and report back to us hit us up hit us up on the gram let us know how that feels and pass it pass it on to a friend pay it forward and i love i'm not sure who who i saw say this but he said that technology is an incredible servant but an awful master that's
1: actually also a a zen phrase about the mind
0: Mm. the
1: mind is an Awesome servant and a horrible master. Yeah. Because when we've got a mind that goes at the rate of 50,000 thoughts a day and we actually believe what our mind is telling us, that's, and around mental health awareness and everything, that's also a really important thing to know. You cannot believe everything you think because that's the nature of the mind. Yeah. So, part of what mindfulness beyond the workplace setting, allows you to do to learn how to stay calm or to be able to ride the waves of I have a deadline and I'm feeling really stressed and I can't think clearly. Um, when you move into a deeper practice of presence, you learn how to drop into the resource and the refuge of your heart. Mm. You actually have the ability to start to heal some of your triggers, some of the things that make you run and numb, Yeah, you know, and those could be that you've done the same relationship with the same guy, just happens to have a different name and a different face every time you get in a relationship and you go, damn, I've been here before. It helps you heal those patterns. And you can have an ability to actually offer yourself a level of nourishment and rest and replenishment. You also can do something that, especially in the Western world, I think is important. Many people either grew up in a religious setting, a Christian setting quite often, or in a non-religious, like you might even be one of the the, the nuns, n o n e s, not n u n s. You might be. I don't identify religiously, or you could be a spiritual but not religious, which sixty two percent of millennials identify as right wow, now. Yeah, interesting.
0: Spiritual, but, but not, not religious.
1: religious an S B N R. Yeah, another lovely, interesting acronym. But what having a practice allows you to do is there is something beautiful about touching what is called your original goodness and in the tradition at least of buddhism one of the most beautiful things is that it believes everyone is nobly born so you are not at all taught that there's anything close to original sin it's about original blessing Mm. and that acculturation that we've got in our dna if you happen to believe someone who believes that whole adam and eve and concept of that we were kicked out of the garden because we did something wrong, can weave into people in such a way that they walk already with guilt before they've ever even done anything to anybody. So the idea of the practice that's called taking in the goodness allows you to touch into the friendliness that lives inside your heart. And whether you call that God or the divine or the beloved or the universe or spirit, or you don't have a name, yeah, it just is the presence that is never an absence. And you could find a way to touch that and go there so that when the going gets rough, which it will, yeah, you know, that's also the nature of life. There's 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. May we learn how to ride the wave of those well. yeah, You know, may we learn how to data mine our difficulties so that when the shit hits the fan, oh, what's this here for? Yeah. What did this bring me? Mm-hmm. This looks like doo-doo. What's in it? Where is the jewel and the doo-doo?
0: Yeah. We're, we're, I, I just love what you said. I want to bring it up before I forget. Data mine. The difficulty. The difficulty. Yeah. And it's so funny because I went to a talk last week and it was all about growing into your pain. Not going into your pain, but growing yeah. into your pain. Just, just like we talked about, um, you know, how you were bringing more awareness to your body. Yeah right we spoke about that it's let that pain whether it's emotional physical be a signal yeah right and like okay now i need to take action and know that god or whoever that higher power is has unconditional love for you and they have your back the universe has your back in that situation so you're not alone and i'm curious to know um since we were talking about kind of the impact of social interaction or lack thereof yeah i recently heard that loneliness loneliness is equivalent like that that perpetual feeling of i'm alone every day is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day yes it is and i'm not sure exactly how they like quantitatively got that number how if, if someone's listening right now and they're just feeling alone they're feeling like they're struggling to connect with someone, and and I'm curious also to cut myself off, like when you were and you still are, but when you're traveling and you're at this very high level and you're an executive and you're and you're constantly go go go, was that was it hard for you to connect with people who could kind of understand you like where you're coming from because I know when you're at the top there's there's very few there it's lonely yeah. And I'm wondering like your experience with loneliness and some action that we can take to incorporate more social interaction into our life.
1: It's such an important, Jeremy, such an on the on the money, on the moment, such a pertinent question to ask right now. And I'm going to do both a macro and then I'll come into a micro um, kind of perspective. Macro, I will tell you that the UK recognizes loneliness so importantly that they have actually created a government position to actually address loneliness. The United Kingdom has come to recognize that. The United Kingdom is also so smart, they've come to recognize and create a movement called Mindful Nation UK. So in the midst of the nastiness of Brexit, my teacher, Jack Kornfeld, goes over to London and he is in a room with the MPs teaching them how to shut up and get quiet and be mindful. So the, the macro level is that. The micro level, I know lonely. That would be another hashtag. Loneliness looks like me. As much as you might go look at my social, as much as you might look at me and go, she's out there, she's cranking it, she's rocking it, I shared with you. And I told you I'm willing to be very um, transparent. On July 6th, I have a friend who I used to pray with him. He was my prayer buddy. He was my spiritual friend. He was in one of my mindfulness classes. I will speak his name so that his spirit knows that he's still loved. Cesar Augusto Ruiz was his name. He pulled the trigger, and it took him two weeks to die. And part of what happened to him was the spiral of depression. Part of it was loneliness. And I never knew what it was like to be in that close of an environment of someone who's committed suicide, ended their life by suicide, Mm. and had a particularly difficult death for the soul to get out of the body. It took him two weeks. And he had to go not only from ICU through an ethics board um, to be able to allow him to get into palliative care and eventually hospice so he could die. Because he was not a vegetable and he was not in a coma. He was in a state of something called minimal consciousness. Like, holy shit, if you're going to get out and make a choice to get out, clearly that's not the place you want to stay for a while. But clearly he had business he needed to do. And my soul walked with him in that journey. So when you ask what were some of the things I experienced, um, I experienced huge amounts of challenge around where was my awareness Where was the community that I was engaged in, where I met him and where he belonged? Mm. Where was that community's awareness? No one was responsible for the choice he made. I'm clear on that. I'm also very clear that God was always present. Not at all concerned about the fact that from the difficulty during the whole journey, God was always with him. What I am aware of, though, is that when we put up the facades, and social media is particularly good at helping us and st- structure those very well, mm. and we don't have the guts to say, today's a difficult day. Or we don't wanna have an uncomfortable conversation and say, are you okay? And be there when someone says, uh, no, I'm actually not okay. And not necessarily even try to fix them because when you look at the information around mental health and well-being, If you ask someone, one, are they okay, and two, if they're going to commit suicide, it is not about them considering the suicide action more. It actually helps release the pressure, and it desensitizes their capacity to say, I have been thinking some pretty scary stuff, and it's so scary, I don't want to talk about it. And that helps open up space for them to not feel so alone. Mm. And so what have I experienced around it? Not to trust my thoughts, to have the courage to say I'm not okay, and to reach out, and to say, you know what, I just need to go for a walk, or would you just come and sit with me and have a cup of tea, and I don't feel like talking, I just need another human being in my midst, Mm. and please don't try to fix me. You know, when people talk about sending love and light, or they talk about holding space, around someone who is experiencing that kind of difficulty, I think there's a really interesting opportunity for us as humans to learn how to be with someone in difficulty. Allow them to have their experience. Let them be. You know, let it be, let it be. And not because you don't want them to harm themselves, but because sometimes it's just that the wave has gotten to be so overwhelming for them, this idea of riding the waves, they just need presence of another being to help walk them through that loneliness. The Surgeon General that was under Obama actually has a book that he's writing right now called The Loneliness Epidemic. Mm. And isn't it funny in the midst of this technology world we're living in, we might be more connected virtually, we're less connected socially. Goes back to that Harvard study. You literally, and we are not meant to be alone. Yeah, we're not. Uh-huh. Our bodies regulate, yeah, our heartbeats regulate. So, long answer macro, some countries recognize that loneliness is a real issue. Um, micro, I know lonely, and I'll bet there'll be some people who will respond and go, Yeah, I know lonely too. And the minute you say that, you're not alone. Yeah, you know, the quicker you can say to someone. You know, man, I just don't know if I can make it through. And then someone might say, you know, I've had that moment too. All of a sudden, just like me, you and I have something in common. Mm. And that makes me not so alone. Yeah. Just like me, you've had a difficulty. Just like me, you've walked through it before. And all of a sudden, the mirror of you just acknowledging, yeah, I've been there before too. And letting me have my experience. Oh. Well, gosh, I see Jeremy out there doing all this cool and crazy, and he's out there, and he's a lot. Oh, he's been lonely too. Dang. Guys, I'm not alone in my loneliness. Mm. And all of a sudden, you're not alone. Yeah. You know, sometimes just the idea of realizing there's more that connects us than separates us. Yes. You know, there's just more that that each one of us has had I would bet that if any time one is walking in that kind of an experience and says to someone else, have you felt this, this, or this, the answer to all three would be yes.
0: So true. And uh, it's funny you mentioned that too, because I was telling you before I started doing the interview, yeah. interviews for the podcast, I was doing these solo shows from my closet. I still do them once a week. Yeah. Um, and one of them was about like anxiety and depression and my experiences with it. And that was the episode I got the most feedback from. Because people are like, oh, Jeremy, like you always seem like energetic and like happy and and like most of the time I am. And I wanted to just like let people know like these are some of my experiences. Yeah. These are some of the ways that I was able to um, grow through those experiences yeah. and just offering some of my, I don't want to say expertise, but just like my experience, my feedback. And I'm sure you're familiar with like the Blue Zone studies. Yeah. And is it? Six six parts of the world? Yeah. Six, yeah. And, you know, there's a few commonalities between all of these places. Yep. You know, like diet, physical activity. And it, it's really, it, to cut myself off again, but physical activity is something that they all have in common, but it's not in the form of exercise. Right. It's just like movement, yep. walking, picking things up, putting things down, like doing errands. The Like those are the things – I guess, functional exercise has become like a trendy thing in the fitness industry. And
1: mindful movement. Like those two are kind of like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just, what are things that you do on a daily basis? It's like, yeah, you probably have to pick things up, put things down, open doors, close doors. Like those are things you have to do. So this became so apparent to me when I was in Spain and like I was walking over 10, 15 miles a day. Yeah. And I was like, no wonder no one here's obese. Yep. Like, no wonder more people are, like, enjoying this human experience because they're, like, experiencing each other. They're walking. They're getting fresh air. They're getting sunlight. They're moving their body. They're generating blood flow. And another big thing, the Blue Zone study, is the community aspect. Huge part of it. And my, I guess, my call to action, because I always like to provide things that have worked for me, just to offer people listening and watching, like, some sort of, maybe tips that they can try to apply is, you know, use Instagram, use Facebook, use LinkedIn, use all these great platforms because I have to, I have to say like, it's amazing that we can communicate with anyone in the world. Like this is such a gift, but like most things, humans, we like to abuse things. Once something's so good, it's like, Ooh, I want more. I want more. And We oftentimes lack that control or lack that structure. Mm
1: -hmm, That discipline.
0: Yeah. So, you know, connect, try to bring these online communities offline. And that's why I've really pushed this recently is like, you know, a lot of people who engage with content or send me messages. If they're local, I'm like, hey, like let's meet Tuesday at this coffee shop and connect. Yeah. You know, and coffee on me. Yeah. Like I'm trying to do that on a weekly basis just to really use the tools for what they're there for yeah. so that's like a call to action for me is if there's someone you want to connect with try to make that relationship real you know and 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 make that technology serve us rather than it controlling that's us that's it yeah and wow we're at oh my gosh we're almost at an hour and i i don't like to i don't like to um limit us because there's so much I want to talk about with you. Like (laughs) I have so many things on these sheets of paper. I'm like, Oh my God. And
1: and can I jump in on one call to action? You just asked about the issue around loneliness and and our well being? And I realized I actually do this every day. It's the reason I have the show called mindful mornings, Miami, get your eyes with some sunlight in it at the beginning of the day. However, wherever you do that, Get some sunlight in your eyes at the beginning of the day. So my practice is that I actually go to Biscayne Bay. More often than not, I'm there before the sun rises. I have a process and a practice and a ritual that I do as I watch the night move into day. Um, There's just something that happens that I literally now, I can tell you, that there are 11 herons in the park where I actually go. I've become this observant. I'm like nature girl there are five hawks that live in the park I go to. When the sunlight comes up, because as you look across Biscayne Bay, there's these beautiful islands and one of them is called Bird Key, that right when the sun, right when the light hits, these ibis, they're all little like white dots on Bird Key out in the bay at the time, right when the light rises, they lift up. Mm. And they fly over me if I'm at the right spot in the park, because I've now, come to observe too. Where do they fly? And I will go sit my butt, my tush on the kush, put my body on the earth. And if I'm in the right spot, when they fly over me, I can hear the sound of their wings. And I swear it's got to sound like what the voice of God must sound like. Hmm. Because it's the wings of the feathers of birds. And I can't even describe it other than to say, I'm sitting halfway between heaven and earth when it happens. But that awe, that's another superpower. Go find something to be awed about. Mm. Find some awe.
0: Yes.
1: And it might be your baby's first step. It might be your little baby's squeeze on the hand. It might be the beautiful steel ice blue of your eyes and that I can behold them. Mm. Find something, because there's something everywhere. And that, that will help your loneliness. Because you realize, wow, I have eyes to see. I have ears to hear. My mom, before she died, she used to call this a bag of bones wrapped in a sack of skin. And she'd say, and one day, I won't have it anymore. We have it right now. Now, this moment. And this moment. We don't know how long. So find something to feel awesome about.
0: Mm. God, God, dang it! So <laughs> right when I, right when I'm like, all right, like, okay, we're gonna wrap this up. Then you say something that makes you want to continue the conversation. Ah, I'm like, mm-hmm. no, that that's amazing. And and that sunlight in the morning is also gonna set our circadian rhythm. Yes. It's gonna like. Help with the melatonin release. Everything. It's gonna help with our sleep at night. Yep. And I feel like sun is on. Honestly, gone like vilified. Yep. You know. Um. So yeah, like those small doses. Get that. Get that dose of sun and find something to just gaze at. Yes. Because so often we're gazing at a screen, yeah. and letting your eyes really just relax and 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 take it all in yep. is so powerful. I love that you said that. Um. There's a couple things I really want to make sure go, we touch go, on. Go. Before before we jump into our rapid fire questions, okay. which I didn't tell you about. um, Okay, so, 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 so. um, Let's talk about this idea of RAIN. Okay. Because I think this is going to help so many people. And yes, I want you to just jump right in.
1: Okay, so Jeremy and I were having a conversation about kind of beyond the basics of mindfulness. Like once you learn how to have mindfulness help you get still in your body, because... You know, the reason children can't sit still and we love to tell them to sit still is because we as adults can't sit still. Mm. That's part of our problem. And we all sit still. Well, are you a parent who can sit still? So once you get beyond how to sit and stay, which is part of what I teach, how to be able to let things rest. And once you do it often enough, you'll, you'll get a body muscle memory of being able to find a way to be able to sit still. When you're capable of doing that, you have the ability to be with the deeper aspects of mindfulness. So mindfulness within the Buddhist realm also has a very um, ancient capacity to look at Buddhist psychology. And it is very aware of the experiences that we have. The the phrase I used of 10,000 joys and sorrows is something the Buddha came up with, that this is the nature of the human experience. That each of us experiences um, praise and blame. We experience uh, pain and pleasure. This is just part of the experience. When we practice RAIN, it is something that allows us to be with whatever is arising. So let's say we've got a difficult experience. We can learn how to recognize. We can learn how to agree to sit with it and allow ourselves to experience it. It allows us to touch it. We investigate it. And as we investigate it, we become deeply familiar with, oh, gosh, this feels like I'm experiencing it now, but let me breathe deeply enough, let me offer myself some nourishment, let me stay present, even Mm. if it's intense. When have I experienced this before? And more often than not, when we're able to have inner insight and develop the courage for inner inquiry, We'll find out that no matter whether we're 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60, or 70, chances are this is tied to something that's happened before. Mm. Chances are this is deep. Chances are it's old. Chances are it's our trigger. It might be a trauma. And because we've never turned toward it, looked at it, it keeps arising. It's like an old wound. And it keeps getting triggered and activated and tickled, and it hasn't healed yet. So once you recognize, once you allow, once you investigate and you get to the end where you don't identify with it, oh, I see this, huh, I've been here before. This is familiar. You then can learn to nourish it. What did you not get when that happened? And it might've been love, might've been attention. It might've been something else. More often than not, it's usually those two things. It might have been acceptance. Mm. And we can learn to offer that to ourselves through the practice. We can learn to be friendly. We can even learn, there was one um, student I worked with that she reminded herself that she was having a very difficult time with a grandfather when she was growing up. And She used to go to the refrigerator in the middle of the night as a five or six year old girl and get little bits of bread and cheese and she'd climb into her bed. And as she was experiencing this overwhelm of what was happening to her, she'd feed herself little bits of bread and cheese to soothe herself. So she came to recognize, oh, I was trying to be good to myself. Hmm. Once you do that and then allow yourself to find a way to create that resource, step out of it. You don't want to stay too long because sometimes you can become emotionally flooded or overwhelmed, especially if it's deep trauma. But it allows you an opportunity to be with it. Mm. And you learn how to practice RAIN around what it is that's difficult. So that's one of the things around mindfulness that people think it has to do with just productivity or just being able to be in the moment. It's based on ancient practices that come from understanding that one of the biggest things that we have is suffering and attachment. Mm -hmm. And we are attached to just about everything. And we have immense addictions to just being in the world. So that is one of the things that can actually help a lot is the RAIN practice.
0: Just to recap, guys, the RAIN practice, recognize what's going on. Maybe it's a recurring theme in a relationship, or maybe it's the way you're showing up late to appointments or work all the time. Maybe it's, that nervous tick you have, you're biting your nails, or you're playing with your hair, or you are struggling to make eye contact with the person across from you, which I've noticed is a really common one, especially yeah. with females. Yep. Um, so R recognize what's going on, allow it to happen. Okay, experience it. I is for investigate it and N is for nourish it. Okay. Yeah. So
1: And non identify too. You wanna try yes. to look at it, but 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 don't identify with it too much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to um we're gonna take a 180 all right okay so thank you so much for everything you just shared I am personally gonna like put a lot of that into practice okay and there's a lot to absorb and digest and I'm really excited to further my practice and with doing that help others in their process as well yeah um a little quick rapid fire all right don't think about it too much just be just be favorite emoji um, smile. Uh, hearts in the eyes. Ooh, I love the hearts of the eyes. Biggest pet peeve. Um, procrastination. Okay. Book or movie that has impacted you the most?
1: Whoa. Uh, Maybe a
0: book that you've gifted the most.
1: Uh, love poems from God.
0: Hmm. Now, three people that you'd want to be at your last supper. So it's your last meal. Okay. You're not going to see another day. Okay. And you get. To experience this dinner with three people, dead or alive, okay, um, can't be family. Okay, who would they be?
1: Jesus, Quan Yin, the goddess of compassion, and can't be alive, right? No, can't be my family. Um, Nelson Mandela,
0: mm, powerful. And what are you most grateful for right now?
1: Being able to stand up for an hour.
0: Yes yo over an hour my gosh i'm proud of you (laughs) crushed it yeah um wow this was incredible and suzanne i just want to acknowledge you thank you because i know we just met 10 days ago Yeah. and i feel like i've already extracted so much amazing knowledge and energy and wisdom from you thank you and the impact that you're making in the world is truly incredible and the way that you are really committed to service and whether it's helping women find their voice or helping businesses with their marketing plan, whatever it is, you seem to go about it in such an ethical way. Um, and it's just really inspiring and I'm so grateful for having you in my life now.
1: Thank you, Jeremy.
0: Yeah. So be, be, be prepared Uh for, text for round I love it. two i love it this 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 is not Sign ending after this Sign show me up baby and yeah i'm just i'm so grateful that you took the time to come on and i know this episode this show is gonna have such a large impact on so many people so thank you so much yeah and i wanted to give you a minute Kay. or two okay to just find out or to give the listeners an idea where they can connect with you cool um where they can Yeah, access more of your wisdom.
1: So uh, Instagram, Mindful Mornings Miami is the place to find me. That's where I actually have my most active space. That's the name of my radio show. Okay. Um, And then outside of that on Facebook on Suzanne Jewell, I'm very active on LinkedIn too. Every Monday you will find I offer a Mindful Monday Meditation and I offer that for free. So tune in if you're looking for a way to be able to meditate every Monday or you just wanna grab it, and I'll do everything from mindfulness of the body to how to get unstuck, All sorts of different kinds of thematic uh, forgiveness meditation. And I just do that because I think it's important for people to have access to those tools. And then if you are live and in person in Miami, the second Tuesday of every, I'm sorry, second Wednesday of every month at the Sacred Space, I have a monthly mindfulness meetup called Sit with the Jewel. So I would love it, and I would love it if you would come. I would love to have you as my guest. Mm. Um, November 13th would be the next one that we'll have at 7 p.m. And the Venture Women event, I will be doing at The Standard on October 24th. I don't know where we'll be at as this uh, broadcasts, but tune in, check out Venture Women. And that is where we actually gather together bright, bold, brave female pioneers and leaders. And what we do is we talk about how to move beyond the unconscious bias of competition and actually focus on collaboration, co-creation, and cooperation. So it's a very different way because a lot of women don't realize that men are not the only ones who check each other out. Women are often look at you in the head, look all the way down to your feet, and go back up again, and we make an immediate unconscious assessment of whether or not another woman is competition for our food, the roof over our head, or our job, or whatever, a, a mate. And it is such a ingrown bias and prejudice in us that if we're ever going to walk the talk of what the Dalai Lama has said is that the Western woman will save the world, then we need to bring that above the line of awareness. Mm. And we need to learn how to actually not compete because I do believe, and we didn't talk about this, that's a very left-brained, heavily masculine, masculine also testosterone-driven way to show up in the world. And the world that we're living in right now needs all of us to open up our legs and our arms and our hearts and connect more than just always do this. And that's a really um, interesting thing that men are looking to try to find a little bit more of that feminine opportunity and that feminine capacity of expression. And women are trying to figure out a way to lead, but still have their heart in the game. So we really focus in on that interesting space Mm. and i think that's where the new human is gonna go
0: hell yeah i i I love that i love everything you said this has been one of the hardest shows to wrap up
1: let's go let's leave it
0: (laughs) um wow and and last thing i want to say thank you so much listening all the way to the end because you showed up fully today all right you showed up with your love with your attention with the intention Of growth and becoming a better version of yourself. So let's continue this conversation. I want to know your biggest takeaway from today's show. So tag me and Suzanne on Instagram in your story. What was the biggest takeaway you had from today's show? And you already know what time it is. It's time to be in this moment and this one and this one and stand up to sitting.